episode 231 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me is PJ Tracy, which is Tracy Lambrecht's nom de plume, to talk about Desolation Canyon, the second installment in her series featuring LAPD detective Margaret Nolan and a cast of characters that run the gamut from darkly attractive to downright dangerous. The book is scheduled for publication on January 18th, 2022. Welcome, Tracy, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. So, as I mentioned, PJ Tracy is your nom de plume, and fans of your almost 20-year-old Monkey Wrench series probably know how that name came about, but could you explain it for your new fans? Yes. Oh, 20 years. Wow. Time flies, doesn't it? My mother and I um, rode together, I mean, literally since the time I was about five years old. And her name was Patricia Jean, and my name is Tracy. And so when we came to publish Monkey Wrench, the first novel in 2003, we realized that it's just, you know, it's not really attractive to have two authors' names on a book. You know, people think, oh, it's going to be disjointed. It's it's going to be weird to read. And so we knew we need one, you know, to consolidate. And, you know, we called her PJ. I'm Tracy. And it just seemed natural, you know, and it's kind of an androgynous name. And even back in 2003, when Monkey Wrench was first published, we still felt a little apprehension about maybe there are still some people that don't believe women can write a good thriller or a good dark mystery. And so we kept it androgynous and that's how the name, and sadly my beloved mother and soulmate passed in 2016, but I've kept the moniker, so. So I have to confess that I haven't read any of the Monkey Wrench novels, which is your first series yet, (laughs) Um, but I am fully committed to this new series that started with Deep Into the Dark and continues with your about to be published second installment, Desolation Canyon. My first question has to do with being a writer of two series and keeping the two universes separate. So how do your characters from Monkey Wrench feel about the new gang? Margaret Moore, <laughs> Eastman, I, and Remy <laughs> I think that they're extremely happy that, you know, we just, we had a great relationship, but like all good relationships, a little distance can improve things. And it was time to take a break. And, um, you know, as, as a writer, I mean, you're constantly building worlds in your head everything you see and experience is, you know, becomes this mother load of material that it, and, and it's just an almost irrepressible need to get it on paper. And so it, it was just, it was a fantastic move to make. Sometimes you must move forward and Monkey Ranch had 10 novels in it. And that's a lot, it's a long time to stay in one place. And um, just having lived in, in Los Angeles for, 10 years and accruing all the experiences and observations and, you know, really, you know, becoming act or um, assimilated into the culture, getting into the groove of the zeitgeist there was like, I can't not write about that. <laughs> so it was wonderful recharge the batteries. Well, I live in LA and I've worked for two major LA based publications. And I have to say you absolutely nailed it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and how you describe the city. 
you know, from the Bel Air Hotel, which for those who don't know, is tucked away in one of the most affluent neighborhoods in the world. And it's a place that I feel safe to say would never be allowed to be built if it were proposed today. No. Uh, to your desert settings, you know, sort of from the rut, the lush to the desolate, from the hyper-scrutinized controlled environment of the Bel Air Hotel to a location so sprawling the human eye can't see its borders. And so from the lovely weather that opens the book to the crazy making of the Santa Ana winds, which you have to experience to understand, (laughs) (laughs) could you talk about the physical and psychological geography your characters had to negotiate in Desolation Canyon? Well, I think... um... So many of the characters have so many issues. They have so many things going on. They're very complex characters. And for the most part, they are Los Angeles natives. And they're all struggling with some some very major things. Sam Easton, for instance, PTSD. Margaret Nolan is struggling um, with her relationship with her family after her brother was killed in Afghanistan. Remy Boudreau has his dark secret. So there is this whole, you know, right, very much so the psychological landscape absolutely reflects and corresponds with the landscapes you see. You know, they're they're in Shangri-La for one moment. And, you know, psychologically and emotionally, they have those moments where they're happy and they kind of drop the plow and they're relaxed. And then when the tension builds, and you go to this very dark, desolate place up in, in Death Valley and this, um, you know, cult masquerading as a spiritual retreat for the rich and famous and led by this deranged charismatic called Father Paul. Um, just the entire play and juxtaposition of the two was so much fun as a writer because there was so much there and it was so rich and, you know, it was just a big tapestry to draw from. You know, the first chapter of the book opens with a perfect Los Angeles morning, and we do have them. Absolutely. Uh, but regardless, Margaret Nolan, Margaret Nolan, who is an LAPD detective, her mind is in a dark place. And, and because of the realization of a binary situation she's now in, which is before you killed someone and after you've killed someone, mm-hmm. she had killed someone in the line of duty. Right. She's not the same person you introduced to readers Uh, she's not the same person you introduce readers to in Deep Into the Dark. So was she a more difficult character to work with in this book, you know, because of her psychological? Because I think of characters as real people. I've talked to enough writers. I've written enough to know that they may only exist in your mind, but they exist. They do. And you really, you know, you have to pattern them after the human experience. And although, you know, many of us fortunately have never gone through what she has gone through, what Sam or Remy have gone through, you can understand because we've all had challenges and we've all had difficulties and we've all had really terrible things happen to us. And so getting into that mindset um, is not as hard as you would think. And it's also not as dark as you would think, Um, at least um, in my opinion and the way that I write. um, When somebody's struggling with a very dark place, I'm always looking forward to uh, a redemption of sorts. 
they are going to get through it just like we all do. And it's going to be tough and it's going to be long and they're going to backslide and it's going to be horrible. But, you know, I'm always thinking of them. They, they're real people. I feel sorry for them. You know, sometimes when I write, I get teared up because I think of what they're going through and obviously, you know, relate that back to anything I may have or somebody I love. And so it's just, you know, developing characters is so extremely crucial. And even though they are fictional, they're just, they're, they're very real in, in their qualities. So Margaret is alone and lonely and sad, uh, but attracted to a fellow detective, Remy Baudreau, uh, who is understandable, and this is understandable. Uh, and I found that kind of romantic in a in a noir tinged way. She's she's you know she's she's got this this weight on her soul, and she's attracted to someone with a with a deep dark secret who happens to be you know a good looking guy. Right, exactly. Irresistible, in fact, I thought. The desert holds a lot of secrets, and uh, sometimes one or two of those secrets escape which happen in your book um, in Desolation Canyon. And so the levels of the confidence game that Father Paul, who you mentioned, was running in his desert retreat were chilling. So I have to ask, where did that particular thread come from? I mean, first of all, they're in Death Valley, which sort of says volumes. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I want to know, you know, that was an interesting... And we're going to touch on the Russian question next, but I I found that just a very interesting direction for a story to go. Oh, thank you. Well, um, I think many people, myself included, are absolutely fascinated by cults and um, how just, you know, the psychological manipulation the condition of the person who becomes the charismatic, the desire for control or power or money or sex and the vulnerables that they prey upon. And so I've just read so much about cults over the years, you know, starting out even in high school, because it, it's, it's really, it's stunning. And, and you almost can't believe that this normal person from the Midwest or, you know, whatever gets sucked into this, you know, very dark, horrible thing. I mean, even, I mean, I guess I was, you know, very young. Um, No, I wasn't born yet, but the, you know, the Manson family was still very much in, you know, the collective conscience. And just those things made me think about how could I actually integrate this kind of a character and just explore how truly terrifying it is. You know, you read a newspaper story about cult and it's just awful, but um, it's just so much more chilling when you actually get into the mechanics of it and the mindset and how it develops, not just from the point of view of the one who wants to control, but um, from the people who are ultimately controlled, how they ended up in that dark place in their life where they relinquish, you know, everything to this crazy person. Well, your your book's epigraph is a quote from Dostoevsky. <laughs> the Russian soul is a dark place. And since you have a degree in Russian studies, uh, you you know where for you from you write. Uh, <laughs> you know from where you write. Yeah. Um, 
the Russian characters in the book bear this out. And without introducing any spoilers, which is going to be a little tricky to the story, there's the question of nature versus nurture, which you also address in in this book. So how did the Russians, specifically in your book, we won't talk about the country as a whole, how did the Russians get to this dark place? Was it destiny or was it design? Is it, well, is it in their nature or is it taught to them? That is a very wonderful and interesting question, Nancy. Um, you know, I, I honestly believe it's both. I mean, having been a student for very many years and having wonderful um, academic mentors that were Russian, um, and pretty much all of them were. So I was imbued with the very Russian point of view and they will be the first people to say, our souls are dark. They have a word for it specifically that is to them defines everything they are without any descriptors. And the word is douche and that means soul. And so they say, oh, you're douche. You know, it's like, if you have that, then they know that you have this dark, and they truly believe that it is in their DNA, you know, and that's, that's just fact. Um, that aside, um, absolutely, the nurture part um, plays a huge role in it, because these characters, if they hadn't had certain things happened to them in their past or hadn't done certain things, they wouldn't be that way now. And it just seemed like this perfect storm, this horrible primordial stew of badness that came together for all of these characters. And I certainly don't want anybody to think that, you know, I'm that all Russians are like that. Russia is an amazing country with amazing people. But in every culture, there are bad apples and the cultural influence that can go back generations or, you know, millennia always had an impact on on how you react to things in the present. And so I think it was just part of, you know, what would a Russian do in these circumstances? How would they turn out? based on my knowledge, obviously limited, but based on my, my schooling and, and education. And it's interesting because um, I know a lot of people feel that there's a large Russian community uh, in New York City, for instance, right. but there's also a huge Russian community in Los Angeles there and a huge uh, Armenian community and a, yeah. sort of a crossover Russian-Armenian community. Right. I think that that was a very interesting direction and, and a little bit a little bit counterintuitive and it just it it just made the story a little bit more uh, interesting. You know, oh, thank you. Kind of a weak word, but it it just it made it more intriguing. It's like okay, this is not these are not the usual suspects. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's such a shame that, um, you know, that more people don't really, really, you don't have to study it for, you know, 10 years, get it. 
but just to really, you know, dive below the surface of every culture, because, you know, we have so many in this country, obviously, and, and every single culture and every single immigrant group has wonderful things about them and interesting things and bad things about their history and their culture. And it's just so fascinating. I always feel like I want to give everybody fair play. And you know, anybody can be a super bad guy or anybody can be amazing where whatever the background is, you know. So when you're writing, you do equal opportunity for your villains. Exactly, exactly. And that actually started out way back. I won't be a spoiler, but Monkey Ranch came out in 2003. And there's a very big twist in that that is still probably today way more than back then very current and very kind of shocking so again you have um a very unexpected suspect so yeah always pj and i always said oh come on anybody can do it anybody can be a killer let's have fun (laughs) (laughs) um another thing that was to me was in the book and was sort of filtered up um and not 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 from a like a deep deep place it was it was sort of an underlying thread throughout the book was grief and how it's handled and this is it, it's an integral part of the story and it's it moves the plot along in some ways so margaret's brother as you mentioned lost his life in afghanistan and every member of her family is processing the loss in a different way including denial and stoicism to the point where her father is checked out and her mother is seeking solace at a dubious self-help destination in Death Valley, which which just happens to be this this Father Paul place. Um, there's, There's no one way to deal with grief. All of us have encountered grief. There's no one way to deal with it. But I thought how Margaret's parents were dealing with loss of their son was sort of a primer in ways that don't work. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, we've all dealt with grief. And a lot of my knowledge of that has come from, you know, PJ's passing and my own journey and also paying a little more attention to how other people um, deal with it. But it's it's interesting. Um Growing up in the Midwest, and um, my par- my grandparents were extremely stoic, PJ's parents. I mean, to the point where it's just nothing was ever dealt with. So, th- and, you know, I have this great family. My parents were kind of airsoft hippies from the 60s, and um, they were just open, and they were wonderful. So we have this great you know, nuclear family. And then I just saw the oppression and the damage and the hardship that did to my perfect family when we would go there. You know, they were an East Coast family. They were affluent. They were very proper, you know, and they were from that generation. You know, they would be like a hundred now, right? And I just, you know, even as a kid, they were the best grandparents. But as I got older, and saw how much it was damaging to PJ. That just always affected me and made me think a lot about it and seeing them, how to deal with grief. Well, you don't, you just don't. You go to the funeral and you don't cry and you're very sorry and whatever private grief you have, 
you know, I just would pray that people would deal with it, but I know they never did. And that was as deleterious to them as it was to their children. And so that had a big impact on me from a young age. And I think, you know, and that's how it ended up rising to the surface when dealing with grief and desolation can. And, you know, Sam is dealing with PTSD, which is almost um, a more understandable challenge than grief right. yeah. I, to many of us, at least to those of us who haven't lived in a bomb shelter for the past 20 years. Right, you know, right. We're just no, coming out true. of a 20 year war. Right. Um, the damage that it did to so many of our fellow citizens oh, that no. served is is unimaginable and and i found how he worked his way through some of this ptsd in the book was was seemed very very real to me so well, did, you, did you did you research people uh and how they uh, how they could be impacted by ptsd and some of the ways that they work through it to that character I did exhaustive research and I also have known, I have many friends and many family members who are combat veterans in wars going back actually all the way to the civil war. And so I read um, letters from them. Um, one in particular, um, a far distant relative who fought in Gettysburg. Wow. And he, his mother wrote a letter to what would end up being my grandfather's, you know, you know, six, seven times removed sister. And the letter, and I read, I read this when I was 14, and obviously it stuck with me. And she was lamenting that um, he had come back from Gettysburg and they had no idea what was wrong with him. And the doctors were, you know, at that time, morphine became popular and it be, got put in use in the civil war and um she was just talking about horror they couldn't help him and he would become violent or he was responded and the doctor said the only thing you can do is lock him up so she was you know just you know beside herself because this poor man was up in their attic literally tied up mm. and it, it, I mean, as a 14 year old me reading that and I guess that was kind of my first intro and consequently every time you know I know people are I will always ask family members um even if they don't want to talk about it and and some don't or friends but I just really reached out at the community at large and the VA centers and just you will find people that have gotten through it and are willing to talk about it. And there are amazing programs and documentaries on PBS and everywhere that you can get. And I just encourage everybody to read or look at one or two of them because it just completely changes your view. I mean, I part of the reason Sam became a character even in Deep Into the Dark and came into my mind was that I felt like these um, veterans who have done so much for us and made the ultimate sacrifice sometimes, but, you know, coming back with PTSD is also an ultimate sacrifice, losing their families, losing their minds. And um, I just felt like everybody, obviously it's like, you know, thank you for your service. But I just feel like after 20 years at war, 
it became just this thing like it was off a teleprompter. And I know that's not true, but um, I just wanted to, to explore it a little bit more. So when people read, they can maybe think a little bit about, oh, wow, wow, it's not what I perceived in my mind. It's something so much more. And in a way, I wanted to make it relatable to them. You can never make their struggles relatable, but just, you know, portray them, you know, as real people and real struggles. And then, you know, you get the empathy then. And so that was important to me, kind of in honor of all these great people, you know, past and present. Well, the other, uh, and I think about, I think about Remy, who is suffering from guilt, which is something I think is, is extremely relatable. <laughs> and also, and also pretty much a mainstay of mystery uh, crime fiction writing is guilt, you know, either uh, guilt that you feel or guilt that you have, right? Because you've done something you shouldn't. That seemed a lot that seemed more straightforward. Once again, I don't want to introduce any spoilers, but there are the kinds of things that Remy had built up in his mind of all these things he had done wrong. And it just shows you how your, your own mind and the mind of your character, Remy, things can work against you that aren't really there. They're oh, a creation gosh. of your own. Yeah, well, I mean, we are our own worst enemy, right? <laughs> and it was just, and it was, it was interesting for me to actually explore, you know, because, you know, men deal with this like women do, but it's not like people ever, you know, think, think of it that way. And I thought, well, you know, of course they do. So he was a really fun character. And as you mentioned, it's more straightforward, you know, in, in what he's dealing with, but, um, yeah, he, he, he just, when I was writing Deep Into the Dark, he was kind of a tertiary character. And then he kind of imposed himself into Deep Into the Dark. And then- Desolation, will do that. Yeah, they, I know they do. You have to let them do what they want. And more so in Desolation Candy. You know, and now I, I love it. I have a crush on him. I wish he was real. <laughs> well, that, that opens up my next question, because I'm assuming that there will be another story that features Margaret, Remy, and Sam, maybe Margaret's parents. Um, and so I was wondering if you can tell us about that and when we might expect it. Well, I can tell you that I am about three quarters of the way finished with it. It has no title yet. They often don't. And um, I believe that it will be out next spring. I say this because my deadline is looming very soon. <laughs> and yes, um, Margaret Nolan's in it, Sam Easton, Remy, I mean, all the same players are, are in it. Um, and again, it's a whole different world. I mean, I, I just always like to mix it up. So every book is very different. And this one takes place more, um, well, almost exclusively in Los Angeles. And it's um, actually touches on for the first time, famous people, actors, famous it's, actors. It's impossible to avoid them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I did the first two books, you know, with the exception of one minor character in Desolation Canyon. But this one, they, they kind of become a set piece. And that's been really, really fun too, because I haven't been there. And that's, you know, LA to me is probably one of the most complex, diverse 
cities in the entire world because there's just so much. I mean, and yes, you know, New York has all that, but I, there's something there. LA has something more about it. Um, um, and it just, I, I, you know, I should, I'm a writer. I should be able to explain it. I can't. I mean, I guess maybe that's a zeitgeist I mentioned. You well, wouldn't even know. Here's, here's, I'll tell you an unsolicited opinion. One of the things about Los Angeles is, is uh, first of all, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's hard to understand. It is, um, it is both a city and a region. So okay. when people say LA, I consider that the region that includes Santa Monica and Beverly Hills and all, all these places that are not actually part of the city of Los Angeles. When you say Los Angeles, I think specifically of the city of Los Angeles. Right, down <laughs> up. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed in my, in my long life and my long life of covering the city is often, and this is not, not necessarily just people from outside of the area, but people inside of the area, there's a feeling and a sensation that there's no history here. Yes, I know that. I, that drives me nuts. And I think part of that is the, especially in crime fiction, is the idea of the, the noir sensibility about Los Angeles that you've come to the end of the continent and it, it's a great contrast to your bright sunshine and dark shadows. And it's a wonderful backdrop for that kind of noir mystery. And that idea of that Raymond Chandler, uh, James Elroy, um, you know, LA Confidential, that kind of people coming out here to reinvent themselves is very much part, has become very much part of how not just the country, but the world looks at us. Whereas, I have friends who are fifth and sixth generation Californians. They were Californians before California joined the union in 1850. Um, it's, it's, the history of California is as complicated and as deep and as fascinating as anywhere else in the country. When I read your book, one of the reasons I said, I like this book and I like this writer not that I'm like the last word in this sort of thing, was because you imbued the book with that sense that Los Angeles oh. was not a blank slate that these characters had sprung up with. That, oh, thank you. That Death Valley is weird. And it <laughs> is weird. It is weird. <laughs> but Los Angeles, even in its hyper-cultivated sense, you know, you, you talk about the swans at the Hotel Bel Air, you, you really, you really nailed it. I was oh. surprised to find out that you don't live here. Oh, well, I, I did for 10 years. So, and there's no way, thank you so much, by the way, Dan. So that means a lot. Um, but there's, there is absolutely no way I would ever think about writing a, about a place where I wasn't fully entrenched and, and not just enjoying this aspect or this, but I'm a history buff. So, it, you know, I'm a total geek. I want to know more. I think you really wove that in to your story. And I appreciated that. And I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the next one.
Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I'm looking forward to finishing it because I don't know what's going to happen yet. And I'm almost done. So. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Tracy, thank you again for, for talking to us and for telling us about Desolation Canyon and uh, telling us a little bit more about uh, what's coming up for your characters. And I look forward to talking to you next year if we're spared. Yes. Oh, Nancy, thank you so much. It was an absolute delight to talk to you. I learned a lot and it was just, it was, it was really fabulous. And, and I will say it was the best interview I've ever had. You're great. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> you must leave it in. It's true. It was an amazing interview. So thank you. Thank you.